This is Mick Rhodes for the Claremont Courier podcast, First Take. Here's part one of my three-part series, Changing Lives, Odds Be Damned. Part one, a case study. Things had never been easy for Joshua Duncan. It was 2018 and the Kingman, Arizona boy was, once again, having trouble at home. He'd already tried weed in an effort to both fit in with his friends and numb his pain and anger. One day, he took it a bit further and smoked some methamphetamine. That first hit of meth set in motion a four-year slide that only recently, with the help of family and a pair of extremely dedicated City of Montclair homeless outreach and enforcement team officers, seems to have abated. Duncan's meth usage started small with a hit or two here and there. But the extremely addictive stimulant soon took hold, and his reliance escalated. Before long, he'd left home, trying to outrun the acrimony and chaos there, and falling deeper into addiction. He was 14 years old. The next four years were a pastiche of couch surfing, crash houses, run-ins with the police, and, occasionally, living outside. At first, he didn't feel as if he'd joined the ranks of the unhoused. But the stretches of living outside became more frequent. And, as his meth usage escalated, he found he cared less and less about where he crashed. It was all about getting hold of enough meth to dull the pain. Years passed. His family, once fed up and angry, was now just worried. By July 2022... Duncan was in Victorville, California, in a court-ordered rehabilitation facility. But he wasn't ready to kick meth, and after just three days, he was asked to leave the facility. At that point, he was intent on returning home to try to get his life together. He boarded a Greyhound bus in Victorville, intending to head northeast to his family in Kingman. But, in his mentally and physically fatigued state, he got on the wrong bus, headed west. By the time he realized his mistake and pulled the cord for the bus to stop, he was in Montclair, California. It was an extremely lucky accident. Duncan was 18 by then, strung out on meth, racked with shame and guilt. He'd burned so many bridges, he didn't think he had a lifeline to use to get back home. It was hot, too, and after scoring some meth, he found a shady spot to crash under a bridge. Hungry, dirty, and overheated, he later made his way to a local homeless shelter. The folks there recognized he needed medical attention, and he was transported by ambulance to Montclair Hospital Medical Center. There he asked to talk to the police, hoping to get some help with getting hold of his family in Kingman. It was at that moment Duncan's luck shifted. The Montclair Police Department routed Duncan's call to its homeless outreach services team of Gabe Fundario and Robert Hargett. They came along and picked me up. They asked me a couple questions and all that. And then um, they ended up getting me a hotel and got me some pizza. They did a lot of things for me. The next morning, Fundario and Hargett took him to breakfast. Later, they were able to reach his grandparents in Kingman who said they would take him in. Unable to find transportation for the impromptu reunion, the pair drove Duncan to Needles, California, where they met his uncle, 
Danny Duncan, who drove him the rest of the way into Kingman. Personally, in their own vehicle and everything, they uh, helped me get back out here onto my feet. It was jarring to have two strangers show him so much compassion. Well, nobody else would, and it just felt like I had somebody watching my back. I was asking other people for help, and nobody would help me, and there were just those two people that were willing to take time out of their hearts and help me. It, it was a really good feeling. It made me want to change. Duncan has been clean for three months now. He has a job installing tires at a local chain store, and he's working toward taking his high school equivalency exam. Put me through like a little scared that I ain't ever going to do that again. <laughs> Drugs, period, and being homeless, it's not really that fun. Because once you're homeless and you got nobody to go to, it's like, yeah, what do you do? But then you reach out to people like uh, Gabe and his partner and In part two of Changing Lives, Odds Be Damned, The War Zone, we will learn how the city of Montclair, with the help of Fundario, Hargett, and a host of collaborators, changed its approach to both the unhoused and improving living conditions in neighborhoods once so crime-ridden they were dubbed The War Zone. This has been Mick Rhodes for the Claremont Courier Podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Mick Rhodes for the Claremont Courier Podcast, First Take. Here's part two, The War Zone, of my three-part series, Changing Lives, Odds Be Damned. Part two, The War Zone. In the mid-1980s, the city of Montclair was the murder capital of the Inland Empire. So brutal were the neighborhoods just above Holt Boulevard, along Bandera and Canoga Streets and Kimberly Avenue, Local NBC affiliate Channel 4 News dubbed them the War Zone. Fed up, Montclair tasked its code enforcement officers to begin working closely with police and apartment owners to eliminate problem tenants. The hope was to improve safety and overall quality of life for the law-abiding residents there. But, like all cultural shifts, it would take time. Even those being victimized were fearful, even distrustful the city had to find fresh ways to help mend these relationships. It found outside resources to offset food and clothing costs for hungry families, streamline the process of obtaining mental and physical health referrals, and source tutors for struggling school-aged kids, among other efforts. And, over time, the new approach showed results. Here's Gabriel Fondario, who, along with Robert Hargett, makes up Montclair's Homeless Outreach and Enforcement Unit. You'd see property appearance, you'd see cooperation from these people increase, um, morale, everything, because all the pieces of the puzzle were were coming together and a burden would be lifted off their shoulders in other ways. We've, all, we've always been allowed to, I'm going to say, get involved in things and go the extra mile to... Uh, attack the the problem neighborhoods and kind of -of out-of-the-box thinking. Montclair, like so many municipalities throughout California, has seen its unhoused population swell in recent years. A panoply of factors, including skyrocketing rents and medical costs, decades of cuts in public funding for mental health services, 
and a troubling surge in methamphetamine addiction have all contributed. In March 2016, Montclair City Manager Edward Starr approached Fondario and Hargett with a proposal to turn their focus to the city's unhoused population as its homeless outreach services team. It was a good call. Code enforcement laws vary from city to city. Montclair, Fondario said, has always been on the vanguard of empowering its code enforcement officers to do more than ticket and arrest the unhoused. You know, we sat on the Housing Improvement Task Force and we really got into the root causes of what causes, you know, neighborhood deterioration. And we've had some pretty nasty neighborhoods here in our city. The pair, altruistic by nature and circumstances, more on that in part three, were buoyed by the code enforcement wins they were getting at work. But a nagging question remained. How could they apply their newfound skills to the city's burgeoning unhoused population? Enforcement was just one tool. You'll never arrest your way out of this homeless problem ever. There's got to be a combination of enforcement and readily available resources as incentive for them to straighten out their life. But we realized that it was going to be a challenge because at the time, I think we had about 85 to 90 homeless individuals in our city at that time. You would see like open air uh, drug dens, you know, you'd see tents set up in groups at certain properties, you know, 10 to 15 tents set up on lawns in different areas of our commercial locations. Fundario and Hargett remember their first call. It was with a man named Daryl Jetton at a jack-in-a-box location on Central Avenue in Montclair. Jedden had been living between two nearby businesses. Of course, our first approach was to try to get him off the streets. And he was very reluctant to accepting any services, which unfortunately he still is today. You know, Daryl had been using for years prior to us making contact with him. And this was small stuff that we were learning uh, you know, on that first visit with him is just trying to get a feel of what what happened to him. How did he end up at his age living on the street? It would turn out to be a precedent-setting call. They got to know Jetton over repeated interactions, searching again and again for a shelter or treatment center that would be a good fit for him, but more importantly, an option he'd accept. They learned he had at one point been living an average life with a job, a home, and a family. Then came methamphetamine. We dug into his family, you know, and found out that he had kids and he had daughter and grandkids. And we began even tapping into those resources to see if it would trigger something that would make him change his life. It was a shock, Fondario said, that Jetton though he had a family willing to take him in and support him in his rehabilitation, chose so nonchalantly to remain on the streets. We really started to learn of all the outside factors and contributing factors that, that led to him being homeless. And it also was an eye-opener of just how bad addiction can keep you in a bad spot and kind of override everything, including including your love for your family, to be honest with you. It kind of just takes full control. Nothing else is as important. Fundario and Hargett worked methodically to build a rapport with Montclair's chronically unhoused community, 
they learned what worked and what did not. And just like with their earlier work in code enforcement, over the years they partnered with outside resources, pastors, advocates for the unhoused, homeless shelters, churches, and addiction recovery centers to create a patchwork system capable of responding quickly when a person decides he or she wants help. Six years later, there have been successes, to be sure, but Jenton's story is unfortunately more the rule than the exception. Now 59, he is still using and remains unhoused in Montclair. That first call scenario, ultimately ending in frustration, but despite their best efforts and good intentions, would repeat itself hundreds of times over the ensuing years. I asked Target if all that misery, all those people they couldn't help, ever got them down. It does weigh on you, and sometimes it gets you down. There's some days it's like, you know what, why are we doing this? And all of a sudden you get that one person that uh, you get off the streets. And then you get that one person that comes up two years later, walks in the city hall, thanking you. Yeah, and that's what keeps you going. Next, in part three, Good Cop, Good Cop, we'll learn about the genesis of Fondario and Hargett's radical empathy and how they maintain their optimism in the face of such daunting odds. This has been Mick Rhodes for the Claremont Courier Podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Mick Rhodes for the Claremont Courier Podcast, First Take. Here's the third and final installment, Good Cop, Good Cop, of my three-part series, Changing Lives, Odds Be Damned. How do they do it? By their own admission, Gabe Fondario and Robert Hargett's success rate is in the single digits. So, how do the duo who make up the city of Montclair's Homeless Outreach and Enforcement Unit keep from becoming jaded in the face of that grim statistic. Fondario did not hesitate to answer. I hope I never do get like that. And if I do, I hope somebody points it out to me because I don't belong in this position anymore. Because you have to have that out here, you know? Hargett's father was a police officer. Part of his job was arresting bad guys, but he also helped out those in need. I was raised uh, in a Christian household. We were basically... uh, you know, to help out uh, individuals that were down on their luck, going to school. Basically, there was people there at school that I uh, grew up with, and, uh, you know, you're always helping each other out. Then, you know, fast forward in life, got involved with the church group, and, uh, you know, we used to go do, down and do uh, mission trips down to Mexico, help build houses, build some churches down there. So that's kind of set me on my path to always kind of helping, helping the uh, people that uh, need the help. Fondario's journey was quite different. His mother was in and out of mental institutions when he was a youngster and had numerous suicide attempts. I had seen some pretty ugly stuff, uh, witnessed some things that she had done as far as trying to take her own life and just the how chaotic it was in the household. And I guess I could have went either way. You know, I could have either went down a path that was similar to that Or I could have used those things to basically try to help other people. Understandably, he resented his mother when he was young. Now 59, he's learned more about mental illness over time, 
with a real crash course since taking his new job in 2016. And he's arrived at a place of forgiveness. So it helped me develop a pretty good understanding. And it also helped me walk into different situations and basically not freak out of what I'm seeing or what I'm dealing with because pretty much seen a lot growing up in, in my own household. So I think it, it helped mold me of who I am today and having that empathy for other people as well. And it definitely helped me in, in my duties that I have right now, for sure. Fondario and Hargett operate much like partners in a buddy cop movie. Their names even sound like the title of a buddy cop movie. Hargett is cast as the tough, no-nonsense type, making sure protocols are followed. He's on his laptop in seconds when a need arises, working quickly, as time can be the enemy after a client decides to accept their help. Many people, he told me, will backpedal if a placement can't be found right away. Fondario, shorter and heavily muscled, is the face of the operation. He's naturally gregarious and looks everyone in the eye. He reads a room well and is ever mindful of the tone of the moment. He's quick to hug or fist bump depending on the situation. It's an efficient partnership that covers every aspect, technical, procedural, emotional, and legal, of trying to find placement for the wounded walkers among us. It's a dynamic duo, to be sure, a dynamically effective one. The Courier watched them in action on September 12th, when they, with the help of their frequent collaborators, Chaplain Diana Delgado and Pastors Donald and Ethel Rucker, worked to help a 70-something woman who, per her request, we will call Jane to protect her identity. The mother of four told us her ex-husband, a cop, beat her regularly. He eventually landed in the California Institution for Men in Chino after a theft conviction. Since then, she's lived on her own, but recently with family nearby. That situation soured, and she found herself out of options, possibly facing life on the streets. I'm not a child, Jane told us. I'm an adult. I've always taken care of myself, but this is one time where I needed help. The night prior, Fondario and Hargett rented her a room at the Welcome Inn Motel on Mission Boulevard in Montclair and bought her some clothes, toiletries, and food. Early the next morning, the talk was centered on vetting a family friend in Florida who had agreed to take her in. Fondario interviewed the woman at length. Background checks were made. Pastor Delgado heard Jane's testimony and offered her first-hand advice from her own personal and family struggles. After about an hour of heightened emotions and precision planning, Jane was on a new path. The Ruckers had donated a suitcase, and Fondario and Hargett had purchased a one-way airline ticket for her to Tampa Bay, Florida. Two hours later, Jane was in the air. It was a rare victory. This is a home run, Hargett said at the time. Actually, a grand slam, he added. It's clear their work is more than a job. But the problem they're addressing is non-stop and their clients seemingly endless. Many are suffering from some sort of medical or psychiatric crisis, some more acutely than others. And, as we learned in part two of this series, and as Hargett reiterates here, most of the folks they're trying to help just aren't ready. Right now, 99% of the people we run into, we have places for them to go. That willingness to accept help 
is a constant concern. Most of the unhoused folks they help end up in Southern California rehab facilities or temporary housing. Some are hospitalized. Jane's case, with an out-of-state benefactor willing to take her in, was extremely rare. Hargett said, Once to do, we get them into the places and uh, get them on a straight and narrow or... You know, sometimes they'll fall off, just like uh, an alcoholic will fall off the wagon and just need to pick them back up and get them into another place that they might fit better. Their budget is ever-changing. Three years ago, it was less than $1,000 and laden with red tape, requiring written permission from the city before the team could access funds. But, Hargett said, Montclair, quote, stepped up. Their budget in 2022-23 is $10,000. And with six years of results behind them, the pairs earn the trust of the city and the freedom to tap into funds to make things happen quickly. Hargett said, Our city council, our city manager, city staff here uh, realizes that uh, homeless is not going away. A lot of people say we can end homeless by a certain year. It'll never go away. The individuals are out there. The pair are in a constant search for county, state, and federal grants. Some have strict requirements that sometimes do not mesh with the realities of chronically unhoused people. As a result, grant money can sometimes go unused. It's a roadblock that rankles Fundario. There is no treatment attached to any type of housing with those grants. You have to be very careful about faith-based organizations being involved or them trying to implement, I'm not going to say their beliefs, but, you know, Christian programs, and they're very effective. Though the funding arm of the program may be imperfect, the efforts of Montclair's homeless outreach and enforcement team have had real-world implications for quite a few. The young man we talked to in part one of this story, 18-year-old Joshua Duncan, who spent four years addicted to methamphetamine before Fondario and Hargett helped him get back to his family in Arizona, may just be their crowning achievement thus far. It's early, but Duncan is clean, safe, and sober. We asked him if he thought he could continue to stay away from meth. Yeah, I think I could do it. Like, I have no um, means towards it. I don't want to do that anymore. That was a learning lesson all itself. Duncan is working now and studying for his high school equivalency test. Long-term plans may include joining the Air Force or starting his own business. In other words, he dreams the dreams of an average 18-year-old American. And but for Fondario and Hargett, one wonders if Duncan would be having those dreams right now. The only thing that I really got to say is that they're really good people. They took a really valuable time out of their day to bring me where I needed to be, and I was just this one person, and they did it. All three parts of Changing Lives, Odds Be Damned, A Case Study, The War Zone, and Good Cop, Good Cop, are available at claremont-courier.com. This has been Mick Rhodes for the Claremont Courier Podcast First Take. Thanks for listening. First Take's theme music was written by Mick Rhodes and Wyman Reese and performed by Mick Rhodes and the Hard Eight.